This week we will um, finish up our three-week um, series on why it's important to live a certain way as Christians. Uh, our text, as we read earlier, as, as was just read by Tim, says that the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, this young pastor, and he says, I'm, I'm writing to you because uh, there's a likelihood that I'm not going to be able to be with you, and so I want you to know how that you're to behave in the church. And then, and then he goes on to describe um, why uh, there's, there should be a certain expectation of behavior in the church. We also want to be mindful, and I mentioned this last week when I spoke on this, that it's not just these walls that are the church. Yes, there is a, there is a significance to behaving a certain way when you're in the house of God, the building, the church. But in addition to that, as Christians, there is a significance to how we live our lives, to how we function daily, to what people say about us, to what people think about us, to what people see in, in, in our daily functions. Those things are significant because we are now, as Christians, we are a reflection of Christ. And even the idea of Christian, the term Christian, to call yourself a Christian means to be a little Christ, a follower of Christ, a person that is working to exemplify Christ. And so I wanted to lay a foundation for why this is important these last few weeks. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll go through some of First and Second Timothy and just look at some practical things. Um, some ways that we should function in the church. First and Second Timothy give us a lot of practical things, and um, and there's there's depth to them. There's uh, sometimes we read through books of the Bible and we just see everything from a surface perspective, and it almost sounds like legalism. But if we can read into those and see some depths, um, some root problems, we can understand exactly what the Lord is saying when He gives us the instructions that He gives us. The Lord is not legalistic. We know that, right? So when we hear something or see something in his word that seems legalistic, we must study it to find out exactly what is the Lord teaching me in this situation or in this passage of scripture so I don't walk away with a legalistic perspective. Um, a, a lot of false religions today come directly from the misinterpretation of scripture, right? So we want to make sure that we're interpreting it properly. Um, my focus this morning is to deal with the third and final element that makes proper behavior as Christians important. Okay, we want to remember, I mentioned just a minute ago, the term behavior refers to our lifestyle, our conduct, and our communication in our daily lives. How, how that we function. When the word of God says, I want you to know how to behave in the household of God, he's talking about your conduct, your lifestyle, the way that you function every single day of your life. And again, it's not just how we function here, but it's how you function when you're at home with your wife, with your husband, with your children, with your coworkers, with your bosses, with your employees. It's, it's every situation of life we're constantly um, working to manifest the glory of God in how we function every single day of our lives. And this is important. As Christians, it is no longer okay just to behave how we want it's no longer okay just to behave how we feel like behaving. It's no longer okay just to behave how we've been trained to behave. We must now behave with two things in mind. Number one, who we are in Christ. We must learn how to behave with an understanding of who we are in Christ. And number two, we must learn how to behave with who we represent or what we represent as children of Christ. We have to learn those two principles must be foundational to our behavior in the Christian life. I mentioned this a few weeks ago in Numbers chapter number 20. God tells the children of Israel are, are roaming in the wilderness. They're thirsty and they're looking for water. God tells Moses to speak to a rock and that water would come forth from that rock, which is a picture of the gospel. And he had already struck the rock once to get water out of it, which is a picture of the law. We know that the law brings a person to Christ, but the gospel is what brings a person to salvation. So the Lord is actually drawing an Old Testament picture of the gospel for us thousands of years before it ever happened. So Moses gets all upset with the people, right? And if you study Numbers 20, he, 
He seemingly has every right to be upset with the people because they're murmuring and complaining. And Moses really gives a list of all the reasons why he has the right to be angry. So he then strikes the rock. God brings water forth out of it. God tells Moses, you will not enter the promised land because you did not properly represent me. Let me just read to you this verse here from Numbers chapter number 20 and verse number 12. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. In other words, Moses' action was a, was a misrepresent, misrepresentation of the holiness of Moses' God. And because of that, God says, because of this, you did not uphold me as holy. You did not uphold me as set apart, as, as different, is what he's saying. You, you, did not, you did not make me look different than other gods. You did not hold me up as being right in these situations. And because of that, he says, therefore, you will not bring this assembly into the land that I have given you. <clears throat> and you know the story. <clears throat> God uh, takes Moses up on the mount, lets him see the promised land, but he never gets to enter into it. But Joshua takes the children of Israel into the promised land because of his misrepresentation. And I ask myself, as I'm reading through that story, I ask myself, how often in my life do I fall into this same pattern where I don't hold up my God as being holy and set apart and sanctified because I just function just like the world functions. I respond to situations just like the world responds to situations. I respond to stress and difficulty just like the world responds to stress and difficulty. And all it says is, is my God is just as limited as their God. And that's what, that's what he says is not, is not okay. It's not okay to represent our God as being just as limited as the world's gods. And the world has many gods, don't they? Our God is bigger. Our God is better. Our God is sovereign. Our God is in control of all things. There's nothing that our God cannot do. And not only that, but we believe that everything that happens is under his sovereign control. So therefore, we can't respond to situations the same way the world does because their God is in no control. In many cases, we limit the significance and the sufficiency of our God in our lives, and the world sees that, and they, um, in effect, it has a, a negative impact on them and on their reflection of God. As discussed over the past three weeks from our context here, we believe that it's important to live a certain way as Christians because, number one, we have a special mission, which is to support and to stand for the truth. We talked about that last week. We're the pillars because the world is trying to suppress the truth, right? Remember that? Romans 1, the world is suppressing the truth, and we are holding it up. And then we are the buttress of the truth, which is the idea of supporting a wall. The wall is truth. The world is trying to trample over that truth. And the church is holding that truth up. The truth stands. The truth is, is the power in itself. But the church's job is to hold that truth up. And how do we hold that truth up? Here's how we hold the truth up. We hold the truth up by living it. The world sees, listen, folks, the world sees there's something different about your family because your family functions in connection with what the word of God says a family should function. That's holding up that truth. Once we start functioning like the world functions, that's allowing that truth to be trampled down. It doesn't mean that we have to condemn everybody who doesn't do it like we do it. Listen, be the greatest Christian that you can be, and the world will see that because that truth will be standing boldly in front of them. And they won't see that the percentage of marriages that end in divorce is the same for Christians as it is for lost people. Is that holding the truth up? That's letting that truth be trampled. We, as, we can't be, listen folks, we can't be focused on what the world is doing. They're, they're lost. They're going to do sinful things. What we can do is we can say, I'm going to show them a different way. I, I illustrate it this way. The, the life 
for a lost person, if you could just picture a lost person painting a picture of their life, and they have all black and white colors, it's just kind of dull and mundane, right? And this is their life, and they're painting this picture, it's dull and mundane. And I, and I tell people this, our job as Christians is to show them this beautiful, colorful picture over here that is what life should be, what life should be as Christians. It's, it's totally glorious, right? It's not dull and mundane. It's, 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 it's amazing and awesome. But if the world never sees that there's an alternative, they, have, they never have a reason to question. And, and may I submit to you as well that sometimes we as Christian, Christians, we paint a duller and more man, mundane picture of what life is. The world should look at our picture of life that we're painting with our life every day and they should say, oh my goodness, why isn't that what I have? But that's how, we, that's how we portray, that's how we live, that's how we behave. So it's important that we behave properly. Our mission is important. Our message is important. We talked about last week, um, God was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. Our message is Jesus. It is the message of redemption. It is a message of hope. It is a message of forgiveness. It is a message of deliverance. The message of Jesus is a, an amazing message. It is a message that is full of hope. And that is what the church is to represent. It is to represent hope for a lost and dying world. We, we present to them hope. We present to them life. We present to them purpose. We present to them color. That's who we are. So our mission and our message both are significant in helping us place a significance on how we live our lives. So what we are supposed to be doing and the message that we're carrying make our lifestyle super important. But there's another thing. I wrote this down as I was finishing up things. It's like, if that's not enough, right? If it's not enough that we carry the gospel, if it's not enough that we are carrying the most important message in the world, if it's not enough that we're the only ones that are holding the truth up, if we don't hold the truth up, it will be trampled on in the streets. Isaiah talks about that. If that's not enough, the apostle Paul gives us a third reason that we need to be living lives that are different, that we need to behave in such a way that says to the world, yes, live how you want, face the results that you face, but there is a different way. There is an alternative, and it's better. It's Jesus. And we, and, and we present that every single day. So, so this morning, my, my third and final thought uh, the scriptures unpacked for why it's important to have the proper etiquette, our behavior in the church, is the, is the mystery. There's a mystery that's presented here in this text of scripture. Matter of fact, the apostle Paul calls it a mystery. He says, great is the mystery of godliness. And I just want to unpack for you this morning, what is the mystery of ungodliness? Of, of ungodliness. What is the mystery of godliness? We'll need to... Uh, Get that out of the tape this morning, okay? <laughs> what is the mystery of godliness? So let's look at a few thoughts here as introductions, okay? The Bible says in the text here, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. So the first thing that we see in the text is that it's a great, it's a great mystery. And the great here comes from the Greek word megos. It just means mega. This is a really, really big mystery, I don't know if any of you out there like mysteries, like you are a mystery book reader and you love a mystery. My, my favorite kind of, I'm a, kind of a movie guy, and my favorite kind of movies is at the very end of the movie, everything that I thought going through the movie turns out to be wrong. And, and it's like, oh my goodness, it took a left turn and everything that I thought wasn't correct. That's my kind of enjoyment. That's the kind of mystery that I, I enjoy hearing and re watching and reading. We, we all like mysteries in some way. Well, here, the Apostle Paul is, is going to present to us not just any mystery, but he says, I'm going to present to you a great mystery. 
a, a significant, a, a, a large mystery. And, and, I, and I can imagine, if, if I was in your shoes right now, I can imagine that your cranks are turning and you're thinking, what is that mystery? And I, and I know when I initially viewed this text, my view of what that mystery was was different than what my view of that mystery is now. So I encourage you to, to, to stay with me as we go through this, because I'm going to present to you, I believe, the mystery of godliness a little bit different, perhaps, than, than what we have heard or known. Number two um, about this mystery is it's globally accepted. It says, great indeed we confess. The Greek phrase here, we confess, just simply implies we all agree. This, this great mystery, we all agree, is a great mystery. Now, what I want you to know is it doesn't mean that we all agree with this great mystery. Okay? Because we would all say if we look at the next few verses, God was manifested in the flesh, uh, seen by angels, vindicated by the Holy Spirit, we would always say, we all say, we all agree with that great mystery. Here's what that phrase is stating. We all agree that the great mystery is a great mystery. Okay? We all agree that this is a great mystery. We're holding to the fact that this whole world globally is seeking to understand this mystery. We are seeking, you as a Christian are seeking to understand what is this mystery. It's a great mystery. It's a globally accept, it's globally accepted as a mystery. The only ones that don't accept this as a mystery are the legalist. They're the ones that are challenged by this mystery the most. Humble people at the end of the day will say, I, I absolutely understand this is a mystery. 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and de de deserving of full acceptance. Okay? And this is the, I'm just, this is the idea of being globally accepted. This the gospel is, is worthy of being full accept, fully accepted. This is a mystery that is fully accepted as a mystery. So I'm, I'm not going to be able to unpack it for you totally today. You will one day see this mystery unfold before your eyes. But it's not going to be today. All I want to do is give you a picture of it. I want you to see what this mystery is so that you can know why it's important for you and I to live differently in the world that we live in. Number three, an in introduction, it is a mystery. It means, the word literally means to be something that is hidden or secret or mysterious, something that is not obvious to the natural eye. First Corinthians 2 talks about spiritual things are not discernible, not discernible, discernible by the natural man. There are certain things that the Spirit of God has presented that are not discernible by the natural man. There are certain things in the Old Testament that God presented to the, to the Jewish people, to the Hebrew people about the New Testament church that were mysteries to them, right? Now, what I want to suggest to you this morning is this. There are certain things that have been presented to us in the New Testament that are still mysteries, meaning that we're still working to figure them out. If we have figured out all things, then we become who? If we have figured out everything, we become, we become God. God has given us mysteries, things that we don't understand or comprehend, things that we strive for every single day of our lives so that we can come to a deeper understanding of those things while never, or while understanding that we will never have a full grasp of these things. We're growing in these things. I, I don't know about you, but when I open the word of God, it's rich and full and new and fresh as if, as if I'm reading it for the first time. I've been reading it for years, but what is it? It's new. It's fresh. It's alive. There are mysteries there that are constantly being unpacked and uncovered for my good and for the glory of our God. Romans 1 verse 17 says, 
For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Now watch this. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. First, verse 16 talks about the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For in it, for in it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. In other words, we're constantly growing. As we grow in faith, we grow in understanding what God is doing in our lives, what God has done in our lives. The salvation that we experience, we grow in understanding that because we grow in seeing it manifested through us. So what is this great mystery called in our text the mystery of godliness? So let's go. Three things really Three things this morning that I want to unpack. Understanding the mystery is the first of these things. Understanding the mystery. What is this mystery that we grow to understand and that as we grow to understand it, we realize that we don't understand it? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter number four or chapter number three. I want to define mystery for you first in relation to the context of what's being said in 1 Timothy. So we're going to look at the use of the word. Um, the, the Greek word is mysterion. It's the same word which we get the word mystery from. And I want you to see this word used in the New Testament and what it describes. In Ephesians chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 4, the Bible says, When you read this, you will perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to the holy angels and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me by the power of his working. To me... Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring the light to, for everyone um, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the, through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. So here we have this same mystery being presented to us, and he says that this mystery is going to be unpacked, it's going to be unfolded, it's going to be developed through what? It's going to be developed and unpacked through us as Christians. We are going to be the ones that are going to be the manifestation of this mystery. As the church functions, it manifests, it, it unfolds for the world around us the mystery of godliness. Here's what he says in Ephesians 5 and verse 32. This mystery is profound, talking about wives submitting to their husbands and husbands loving your wives. He says, this mystery is profound, but I am saying this in reference to Christ and the church. Colossians 1.27, to them God chose to make known among, to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of of the glory of this mystery. What are the riches of the glory of this mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is Christ in you. The mystery is you and I manifesting the glory of Christ, the work of Christ, in the same way that when Jesus came to this earth to manifest the glory of God, God was manifested in the flesh the church is the manifest, manifestation of Christ in the flesh. We are the only Christ that people will see. We're the only Christ that people will see. We say, yes, we have the word of God, but do you not believe that the word of God is foolishness to those who are perishing? The word of God is for us to live to teach us, to show us, to make the truth of God's word alive in us that we might manifest that to the world around us. Your life will be a far greater witness than anything else if you show the glory of God by how you live. And then you're able to point people to the Christ that is the reason for the glory of God in you. 
Revelation 1 and verse 20, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And then if you have time, I won't get into it now, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 58 talks about the same mystery. And it talks about the fulfillment of this mystery, which is one day we die. And Christ is at that point, complete. we are completely conformed into his image. Listen, folks, that's the mystery of godliness. There isn't a single one of you in here that's, that, can, that can argue that it's a mystery that one day I'm going to be completely in the image of Jesus. That's a mystery, isn't it? Just walk with me a day of my life and you'll say that's a mystery. Seriously. The greatest mystery that we know is the mystery of Christ being formed in us. That's the greatest mystery. That's the mystery he's talking about in when he says this is how you should behave, the mystery of godliness, God manifested in the flesh. Yes, that's Jesus. That's the message. But that's also the church. That's us. We are manifesting the glory of Christ in our lives. It's interesting as well, and I won't belabor this point, but he calls it the mystery of godliness. If you go through the book of Timothy and just look up the word godliness, you will find that every time it is used, other than this time, which this time many refer to it as meaning Christ, but every other time it's used, it's referred to the church as being living a certain way. It talks about women dressing a certain way as women who profess godliness. It talks about exercising ourselves unto godliness. It talks about godliness with contentment is great gain. He's talking about all of these things, these godliness things, all throughout the book of Timothy and referring to how do we live as Christians? How are we manifesting the glory of God in our lives? First Timothy chapter 6, if you want to turn there with me, I will read a short portion. 3, the Bible says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teachings that accord with godliness, he is puffed up and conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, uh, evil uh, suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved in the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is true that we will take nothing out of this world. It's a call to godliness for us. The mystery of godliness is Christ being formed in us. Let me give you a few other things. Turn with me to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, chapter 4. The mystery of godliness is Christ formed in you. It is Christ, it is you in the image of Christ. It is Christ in us, Christ for us, Christ through us. Christ being seen through us. Romans 8, 29 for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. This is the journey that we're on. We're being conformed into the image of Christ. The Bible tells us in, Matthew, in Galatians 4, verse 19. Uh, let's see here. My little children, for whom I have, am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. This is the mystery. This is the process of sanctification. This is what's happening every day of our lives. Christ is being formed in us that the world might see Christ through us. In several passages of Scripture in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 5, Colossians 1, the church is called the body 
of Christ. The physical expression of Christ. God was manifested in the flesh in his son Jesus, or God became flesh in his son Jesus. Jesus Christ is manifested today through us. Jesus said it this way towards the end of his life in John 20, 21, and 22. Jesus says to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father hath sent me, so I am sending you. In the same way, for the same purpose that God the Father sent me into the world, Jesus Christ says, I am sending you into this world. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what is the mystery of godliness? It is Christ in us. It is Christ through us. It is us being conformed into the image of Christ every single day as a representation of Christ. It makes our life significant. Not for our glory, but for his glory. Not for our significance, but for his significance. That the world might see who he is. Number two, underlying this mystery. What are the roots of this mystery? The roots of this mystery are threefold. Number one is the promise of the indwelling Holy Spirit. In John 14, Jesus Christ makes a promise to his disciples right before he dies and, 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 and ascends into heaven. He tells them that the Holy Spirit who is with you will now be in you. The Spirit of God is going to come and live inside of all of those who believe. So you have the promise of the indwelling Holy Spirit. This is how this mystery is going to be unfolded. The mystery is going to be unfolded because God's Spirit is going to come and live inside of you. The process of this mystery unfolding is what we call a new birth. John chapter number three, you must be born again. We must be born not of the flesh. Nicodemus says, what do I do? Climb up in my mother's womb a second time. Jesus says, certainly not. You must be born of the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit of God must awaken life in you. This is the process of this mystery beginning to unfold. And you, we will see it unfold until the day that we pass from this life. And then the last thing is the practical outworking of this is the Holy Spirit working through us. It's Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit. It's, the, it's what we talked about the last several weeks. It's, it's the gifts of the Spirit working through us, God using us to accomplish his purpose to carry out his will. This is the practical outworking of this mystery. And every day we grow in becoming better at working this mystery out. The reality of it is every day we understand this mystery more. We see it unfolding in our lives. And, and we also understand how little we know about it. But this mystery is unfolding right before our eyes, through our lives. Paul said it this way, Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk in the spirit and you will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. This is that mystery. This is that mystery. When your life begins to become secondary and his life begins to become primary. Paul said it this way, I die daily. That was this mystery coming to life. Paul understood by putting myself aside, Christ could be seen through me. And the manifestation of the mystery, which is Christ in us. This is 1 Timothy 3, verse 16. God manifested, that's all about Jesus, but it's also all about us. Christ in us. The hope of glory, right? His spirit begins to work through us and live out of us. Romans 8 and verse 6 says, For to set the mind on the things of the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the things of the spirit is life and peace. Philippians 2.5, Having this mind in you, or have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is the working out of this mystery. Folks, listen, our life is not insignificant. When we act rude to people, 
when we act hateful to people, when we act mean to people, when we act unforgiving to people, when we're unmerciful to people, this is not insignificant because that's what they see Jesus as now because we have put Jesus on our lives. We have put the stamp. It's like the guy who has the bumper sticker on the back of his car, right? And he runs the red light and the whatever group that bumper sticker bumper sticker represents says, please take the bumper sticker off, right? I wonder sometimes if the Lord's not saying, take the bumper sticker off, figure it out and put it back on again. Our, it's, it's significant what we're doing. We don't represent the president of the United States. We don't represent a king. We don't represent the richest man in the world. We represent God. We represent God. There's nothing more important than that. So this is the outworking of that. We see the mystery, the mystery of godliness being outworked of our lives every single day. This is why we should behave right in the church because we are a mystery that we're unfolding for ourselves. And and folks, in all reality, we're unfolding for the world. The world has has great questions about Christianity. There was an old philosopher, I don't remember who it was, but he said this. He said, Christianity is not what I have the problem with. He said, it's Christians. Should that be the case? This is why it's important that we function right, that we behave properly. We have an important place in our life by who we serve and who we claim. So go back to our text. Forgive my voice this morning. I am losing it. I have have some sinus issues. I I would appreciate the prayers. I, I just want you to see some practical things here. Real quick, how do, we, how do we see this mystery unfold? The first thing that's, that's a part of this mystery is, is God. That is God becomes a man. That God chooses to, to reveal himself to become a man. The greatest act of humility ever, ever performed on the face of this earth was God. The one who creates and sustains all things. God becomes a man. It is the greatest act of humility, one who was in a position of honor, one who was in a position of great respect, one who had everything positionally that anyone could ever ask for. He leaves it all. Listen, folks, the things that we strive for every day so that we can climb that ladder of success, Jesus Christ had all of those things. He became a man and he became a what? He became a servant man. You want to represent the Savior of the universe? It will take an utter life of humility. Extreme humility. No one wants to live that life, folks. That life has got to be lived out by the power of the Spirit of God. There's no other way to live. When people are stomping on us every single day because we're trying to show them grace, it's hard to be humble. But that's the humility that God calls us to, is it not? We represent the one who was the most humble man to ever walk on the face of this earth. It's amazing how we attack people about how they do this and how they do that and how they do this. Jesus says, hey, what you want to represent me, you represent me by being humble. When he was reviled, he did not revile again. When he was falsely accused, he did not defend himself. Those are all signs of humility. Jesus is God in the flesh, and we are the manifestation of Christ as the church. It's going to be through utter humility. Leaving power Positions, possessions, honor, and glory, and embracing weakness, servanthood, poorness, dishonor, and shame as our own. That's who Jesus is. And he didn't even embrace all of those things 
they weren't his, he embraced them for us, which is extra humility. It's like the perfect God of the universe comes down and finds somebody who has failures, and he says, I'll take those failures on me. Let me have those for you. You take my successes. That's total humility. But how, folks, how many of us live that way? How many of us think that way as we go through our day? How can I give so that someone else can have and take their burden and take it on myself? I'm so, I'm so guilty this morning. I'm so guilty of putting all of my burdens on other people. And yet Jesus put no burdens on anyone. He was the taker of burdens, not the giver of burdens. Oh, God, help me to be that kind of a person that looks and seeks and strives to be a burden bearer and not a burden giver. But it's going to take humility. Have this mind in you who was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, or another way of saying that is though he was God, he did not count equality with God, something to be grasped after, in other words, he wasn't pursuing all the things he had in heaven, but he emptied himself, took upon himself the form of a servant, and was born in the likeness of man, and being found in the fashion of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even a naked, horrible, humiliating death on a cross. That's Jesus. Listen, if you're a Christian this morning, that's what you represent. That's what you live for. You don't represent wealth. You don't represent riches. You don't represent position. or You represent humility. Amen. You say, Pastor John, I don't know if I want to be a part of that Christianity. Well, maybe that's something we need to evaluate. Maybe we've never been presented with a true Christianity of the Bible. We think it's something that it's not. God help us to embrace what Jesus did for us and then to become a conduit of that for the people who are around us. And, and may I submit to you, folks, you will never show grace to anyone that, doesn't, that, that deserves it. You will never show grace to anyone that deserves it because it's never grace if they deserve it. Jesus didn't show grace to me because I deserved it. He showed grace to me because I didn't deserve it. You say, well, I'm not going to show them any kindness because they don't deserve it. Well, good. There you go. Thank goodness you get to be Jesus. That's why we live. That's where our purpose comes from. Folks, listen, that's the colorful picture of life for me. That's purpose. Utter humility. Number two, utmost sacrifice. Jesus, when Jesus became a man, he didn't just humble himself, but he humbled himself to death. He gave himself, his life up for ours. He gave his life for us. Romans 5 and verse 8, but God commended or showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We represent that sacrifice. Listen to this verse, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. It's not the way of the world, is it? But my friends, it is the way of Christ. And it is what we represent. It is, if we want to flesh out Christ, we want people to see Jesus, let's show them this. This is it. Unexplainable, number three, unexplainable peace and joy. Philippians 4, 7 calls it a peace that passes all understanding. Hebrews 12 and verse 2, when Jesus Christ is looking to the cross, he says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Christians are not discouraged, despondent people. We don't do what we do because we have to. We do what we do because we get to. Humility is not a demand. Humility is a privilege. Yes, the world will tell you otherwise, but they're lying to you, friends. Sacrifice is not a demand. It is an opportunity. Oh, that every day of our lives would be full of more and more opportunities to serve people. Last Sunday night, I'll give you a little illustration. 
This is not to prop me. This is just something that happened to me this week. We talked last week about how to handle the poor and how to make sure we don't look at them differently than anybody else. And I was driving down the road and there was a homeless guy or whatever walking and he waved at me and, and I thought he waved at me for a reason. And I drove by him and right away in my mind I thought about what we talked about last Sunday night. I'm like, you know something? I can't just ignore him. Proverbs says a man who sees somebody and ignores him, the scripture calls it a horrible thing. So I turned around, I went back, I said, hey, I'm willing to give you a ride. He said, don't need it. My bike is just right down the street. But he said, but thank you for thinking of me. It was huge. I didn't have to give him a ride anywhere, but it mattered to him. That was the Lord. Oh, how many times the Holy Spirit of God irks on our heart to do something and we just say no. God, help me to be what you want me to be unexplainable peace and joy. The church as Christ in the flesh. Number two, the church as resurrected from the dead. He said that we're vindicated by the spirit. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, but he was vindicated by the spirit. And we know that was based upon his resurrection. But let me say this one step further. His resurrection is our resurrection. We are also vindicated by the spirit of God. That means this, as you live out Christ you become vindicated for the message and the mission that you have. You overcome sin. You overcome temptation. You walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. You're doing all these things, not in your own strength, but in the power of Christ. And folks, it's very vindicating. It's very justifying of the fact that you are one of God's children. I tell people this, if the spirit of God is not working on you to convict you, challenge you, grow you, you might want to check up on whether or not you're one of his children because those are the things that naturally happen to a believer. Vindicated by the Spirit of God. Is our life, is our life justification of God's presence in us to the world around us? Number three, the church with confirming fruits. We talked about seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world. Three witnesses there, divine witness, heavenly witness. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 and verse number one, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. There's a heavenly witness to your life. There's an outside witness. He talks about being proclaimed among the nations. I just wrote this down. What do people say about us? I understand that people aren't gonna know me around the nations, Kind of glad for that, amen. But people know me in Hollister. People know me in Central City, Nebraska. What do they say about me? What is my witness? I was thinking as I was working through this of the qualifications of an elder, and one of the things was that he would be well thought of by outsiders. What is my witness to the people in our community? There's an outside witness to God's presence in your life. And then there's a fruitful witness believed on in the world. That's simply that your message, the thing that you're living, the things that you're teaching are impacting people's lives. One of the greatest evidences of a person being a believer, a true believer, is that they're reproducing. They're discipling. They're working with people. They love to do these things. That's what, that's what Jesus would, was like. And then the last thing was taken up into glory, which is the church and its eternal hope. We have this hope, 1 John 3 says, that one day we'll be conformed to the image of Christ and we'll be perfectly like him. That hope is what drives us, verse 3, to purify ourselves even like he is pure. Again, Colossians 1.27, I read it to you earlier, I'll read it to you again. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. It's amazing. Sometimes we can, we point to Jesus this way, right? But do we ever point to Jesus this way? Paul said this, follow me, right? While I follow Jesus. 
The outworking of God in us is the mystery of godliness. So we have, we have an importance, a significance. Our life is important and significant, number one, because we have an important mission. Number two, because we have an important message. But number three, because our life is the unfolding of a mystery that you will one day be perfectly in the image of Jesus. Amen? We believe that this morning? Here's what the Lord says. If you believe that, 1 John 3, verse 2 and 3, if you truly believe that, you will purify yourself. That means that the process of sanctification is evidence or proof that there is a future glorification. And the world is watching that. So it is important that we behave in such a way because we, you, brother and sister in Christ, are the mystery of godliness. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord. May we as a people learn how important and how significant it is that we live life in a way that is honoring to you, that paints a glorious picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that we have found forgiveness, we have found hope, we have found justification and deliverance. We have found all of these things in Jesus, and now he lives inside of us and is living through us. Please help us, Lord God, to work out this mystery, as you say in your word, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to work it out well, and to do it for your glory and the salvation of others. Lord, please bless us as we go from here and uh, use us to glorify you in Christ. Thank you.